What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat. On today's episode, we sit down with Dominique Crenn. She's a world-famous French chef, restaurateur, and co-owner of Atelier Crenn in San Francisco, which was named to the world's 50 best restaurants in 2019. She's also the first and only female chef in America to attain three Michelin stars and was awarded Best Chef in the West in 2018 by the James Beard Foundation. In January of 2020, she launched Vitable with the mission of universalizing access Access to wholesome, plant-based meals in an effort to cultivate resilient communities. We had a chance to chat with Dominique and learn about her adventurous childhood growing up in Paris, how her relationship with food has evolved throughout the years, her incredible career as a chef and why she's not the biggest fan of culinary school, the early challenges she faced opening up her first restaurant, Atelier Crenn, in 2011, her thoughts on the future of hospitality and food, and much more. Here we go. So um, thank you for having me. Um, it's a it's a pleasure. Um, so I grew up in France. Um, I grew up outside of uh, Paris, Paris, France. Um, I what kind of kid I was? I used I was a tomboy. Uh, I played soccer. I played judo. I beat up people. Um, I defend. Um, I was anti-bully, so I literally beat up people that were after people that couldn't defend it themselves. Um, you're, a, you're a vigilante. Totally. Um, <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was, I was very athletic. Uh, what did I do? I was like, you know, I was just hanging out with my, my friends and, and very curious. I was very curious. I was also a loner. Um, I was very much into music, art, and um, I loved going to my grandmother's farm in Brittany. And um, I was probably someone that didn't like to follow the convention of life, which I'm still not doing until today. I, I, I didn't like to go to church either. So <laughs> <laughs> You talk about being, you know, a tomboy and a loner. You know, I think a lot of kids growing up, you know, feel that way, right? Uh, especially if they come from a traditional family uh, right. where, you know, there's all these rules and, you know, you have to be obedient and you have to do what you're told. And, you know, obviously you're not that kind of person. The great ones never are. Um, you know, what was that like for you being that kind of a kid, you know, being kind of this lone wolf, you know, and, you know, trying to do your own thing? I felt free. I think that's um, that's a, a place that is um, I didn't feel lonely. I was a, I was a loner, but I didn't feel lonely, but I felt free, free to. Uh, be able to be curious about things that I didn't know, but that, that also helped me um, to really discover and, and become who I am today. And um, I had an amazing, you know, my parents are amazing. My dad was amazing. And he allowed my brother and I to be able to uh, think outside of the box. And it, I think it was okay for them, you know. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, like they, when I was very young, it was like, okay, Dom, you're going to... Um, be a classical dancer. I tried this, edited it. Can you can you see me like wearing tutu and dancing? You know, hated it. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say yes. <laughs> uh, I just I just couldn't stand the the rigidity of it. Um, can uh, Can you see me wearing a tutu dancing? Totally with the beard. Nah, totally. Um, yeah, I have that face, right? 
play music, piano, flute. Um, you know, I did everything that they say, you, you want to try that, try that. You want, And if you don't like it, that's fine. So it was a kind of like, um, they allow me to be free, but they, they, they also uh, gave us the ability to be able to discover also those things. And that was up to us to make the decision. So that was kind of cool. You know, they were not the, the type of parents who was like, well, you got to do this because if you don't do this, you're not going to be su- successful. It's like, hey, dumb, you do whatever you want to do, but there is consequences, you know. So, um, no, I mean, I was... Um, I don't know. I was looking at the world a little bit differently. I was trying to find myself to understand who I was. And um, I love the curiosity of trying to know things that I didn't know or getting out of the typical idea of a French family, you know, and trying right. to, to submerge yourself to other culture. And I think that was, it, it was very rich for me, you know. What was what was your relationship with food when you were a kid? Were you like a picky eater or like what, did okay, you love so, food to the point where you're like making food or are you just eating it? So I think what's, what was interesting is my, both of my parents come from um, a farm, from farming family. So I spent a lot of time uh, during the summer and at a time also, you know, in France it's like you have, six months vacation, six months vacation, and then you work six months. <laughs> but I, 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 lo- I love to go on the farm and hang out with my grandmother. And, and I love uh, the idea of um, uh, the process of growing and the beauty of communing with nature. I thought it was really cool. And my dad was uh, a politician and his best friend was a very famous food critic. So we were uh, lucky enough uh, to dine in a lot of great restaurants, and um, yes, I, I just, I just love the. I don't know. I, I was very attracted to the symphony of all of it, you know. And um, but, but also you have to understand, you know, food is kind of a part of the culture. It's like you go to Italy; it's kind of a part of the culture. So France is kind of very similar, and. Um, and yeah, I mean that was that was you know you wake up in the morning and. This is this is a part of your culture, so it's like I'm I'm sure that 99 percent of French people love food. So if you don't, then I'm no. not sure who you are. You know, <laughs> well, you know, at what point of your you know life did you know what you wanted to do, right? And you know, I I don't you know I asked that because after talking to the hundreds of people that we've talked to now, you know, we always ask them, oh, you went to high school, college, whatever. But, you know, um, now I'm a little bit more curious. Like, when did you know what you were passionate about, right? When did you know what sort of path you wanted to pursue? Well, so at a very young age, um, I was very um, passionate about um, learning about others, other culture, other uh, political climates. Um, I wanted to know what was going on in the world, not just reading the newspaper, but be a part of this journey so I was 11 years old and I went to my dad and it was the time where um, it was during the cold war so uh, Russia was literally uh, you know the communist part of Europe and the other side and I said to my dad I want to know what's going on it's like well just read the paper and I'm like no 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 I want to go what's going on so I said what do you mean Dom it's like well I want you know you have friends in Poland and I want to you know 
understand those East country and can I go out there? And, right. I, and he was like, you're 11 years old. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I think me and my brother, we can take the train, which is about 36 hours of train. You can put us there and then your friends in, in Poland can come and, and pick us up. And then I can, you know, learn about Poland and what's going on in the East country of that part of the world. And my dad was like, are you crazy? And he put us on the train. And I, I swear to God, he put us on the train and uh, the the East Germany and the West Germany was still happening. And I remember it was, it's still vivid in my in my head. It's just it was it was midnight and the train stopped and I could hear, you know, German, you know, language. And my brother and I look outside of the window and it was like the soldier was there like you know, raffle and, and, and those dogs with them and they were lined up on, 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 in the train station. I'm like, what's going on? And I was in East Germany and they came and it's like, passport. You know, I was like really scared. I was 11 years old. You have to understand that, 11 years old. And then, um, and then we, we went to, uh, then we arrived in Poland and I was very shocked by it. And then I started to ask questions and I fell in love with Poland and those people. And then I realized that we were living in a bubble in France. And I realized there was other country and other culture and other way of life out there. And that was very rich to me. So at a very young age, I uh, knew that I wanted to um, spend my life to be curious. Um, not just being a chef, to be curious, literally. Um, yeah. I wanted to, at one point, um, I'm a very visual person, and I, I wanted to uh, attend L'Ecole Louis Lumière in Paris, which is one of the most famous um, uh, school of photography. And um, I guess I was not good enough at school to get into that school. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going, I'm going to go to the United States where I can be free to be who I want to be. And that's how it started. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, feeling like you're in a bubble, which I can imagine a lot of people feel that way. Wherever you're from, it, you know, and oftentimes that could feel like a bubble until you sort of get out and see other cultures and how other people live in other areas of the world. And you, it sounds like you were very adventurous just even as an 11-year-old kid and your parents were very open to your, you know, um, curiosity and, and allowing you to to go and explore and so i'm sure you i'm sure that got you in a lot of trouble as a kid but i'm just sort of curious you know um what what, what were some of like what was like life like in terms of being in school or being in a more like structured environment like did you have did you struggle with that did you always want to just sort of do your own thing or or did you also thrive in that environment no, I'm a, I, I was, uh, I mean, like I said I couldn't go to school because I was not good enough, but it's, it's because I didn't have the right um, uh, diploma. I study, uh, uh, I have a bachelor in economy, and I guess I needed to be more scientist, scientific about it. I mean, what the hell? You're a photographer, you need to learn about math, I guess so, but I guess I didn't. No, I mean, at school I was, um, you know, um, I was good. I was good. I was, you know, I was surrounded with good people. I was not a bad, you know, I was not an outsider at, at school. I love to learn, you know, but I was playing soccer with the boy. I was the only girl that was playing soccer. Um, I was doing my own things, you know, and then um, 
outside of school. It was just add a friend and we just went around and just do our own thing. But I was never getting myself in trouble in a way was bad. It was just I was I was yeah. discovering things outside. But I was, you know, I used to, you know, my parents sent me to go to Paris and parties and they just told me at a very young age, you want to go to Paris and party? You want to drink? You want to do drugs? Guess what? You can do if you want to, but there is consequences. So he allowed me to kind of like to be a good good girl somehow. I mean, not that good, but like a good girl. But, uh, um, but you know, you have to understand too, um, I was, I told my mom, um, I knew at a very young age that my brother and I were, were adopted and my brother is not my real brother, but I knew I was adopted. And I had a discussion with my mom and uh, to try to understand it. And I felt that I was a little bit nomadic within myself. And there was things that were um, in my psyche or things that I was discovering that I didn't understand why. Because I, was, I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up in a very traditional French um, uh, uh, family and then you know used to hang out you know all my friends were Moroccan Tunisian you know from Africa I used to love to hang out the music and all that so I was trying to to be open about this and and I told my mom I don't think I could ever stay in in a country where you get a job and this is the job for the rest of your life I need to go out there and learn other things so they were very open about this so I think that allowed me uh, that conversation and that engagement with my parents and that honesty and transparency helped me uh, to do the things I wanted to do, but with a lot of responsibility that I was taking. So, Dominique, you know, being adopted and being, you know, this tomboy that you continue to bring up, I mean, as a child, did you realize that? Was that something that, you know, those two things, did it have any sort of impact on you? Or is it more so looking back you kind of connect the dots and say, you know, this is the way I was because I was adopted. Or this is the way I was because I was a tomboy and I was a little different than everybody else. And I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to play soccer with the boys. Right. Is that something that you were aware of back then? Um, I don't know aware, but I knew that, you know, when I knew, I mean, I very, I think, you know, knowing that you adopted, it's like at one point somebody put you in a box, you know, when you abandoned and they put you in a box and an orphanage. I didn't want to be in the box. And so I think I tried to live my life is I didn't want anyone to look at me. Oh, you're just a girl. I'm, I'm a part of this journey. And if you want to take, take, you, you know, if I want to play soccer with you, I'm going to play soccer. If I want to do uh, things that all the boys doing, I'm going to do it because I wanted to make sure that no one were putting me in the box. I wanted to discover everything that I could. So was I aware about this? I, I, I don't know. I just, I think I wanted to, I think I was grateful to be where I was and I wanted to people to see for who I was. And that was I was not scared, and I think at a very young age, that's that was something that was in me. It was it's very interesting. Like I couldn't like I couldn't stand when you know people were like defining you in a way where well the girls on that side and the boys on that side. I was like, mm-hmm. no, this the, why? I have the same brand and this guy, and I kick I can kick his ass in soccer for sure. Why you want me to be on the other on the other team? You know, so um, 
I don't know. I I think it was a tomboy. I don't know. I, it's weird tomboy. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, I think I think that's I think society. You know, to answer your question, I think society creates those norms, right? And I think that right. especially back then, even I mean, like you know, Pat and I are almost in our almost thirty years old, and even when we were growing up, um, it was the same, right? The boys would play on one side of the playground, the girls would play on the other side, and you know, girls had cooties and you couldn't touch them, right? But you know, as you grow older. And as you kind of realize these things, you say, hey, you know, who cares what you are, right? Like, you know, I don't care if you're French and a girl or Italian and a boy or, you know, Mexican and a boy, whatever it does. I don't care. You know, it's a cool perspective, right? Why can't we just all be together? Why can't we share ideas, play our game, you know, have our businesses or whatever, right? And I think that as a young girl, for you to have that level of, you know, perspective is it's pretty phenomenal right like knowing that you can do whatever you wanted to whether there were repercussions or not that that's 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 impressive right a lot of people fear that right they don't want to go against the norm um and i'm curious you know as you grew up and even now like how do you think that that's shaped the person you've become well i think to understand that you want people to see you for who you are not because of your gender or the color of your eyes or your skin or whatever. It's, it's, I think it's very important. But I think my dad told me very young age is, is dumb. You, you know, you, you can be who, who you want to be, but you, you're gonna, there's going to be struggle, but just always be who you want to be and who you are inside. And, um, and you know, going through this life, I think it gave me a lot of strength to go through mm. the world um because believe me there's a lot of asshole in this world you know and it's true amen amen it's, it's true and i think you gotta i think you have to understand uh who you are and the confidence needs to come from within and when you have that and when you look at someone in the eyes and they try to put you down you just look at them in the eyes and you tell them how you feel and often they are the one that's going to be scared you know you know, fair and uh, is present. You know, you can't. You know, why are you gonna have to follow the the norm of the society? It's crazy. I don't believe in that. You know, I'm I'm Catholic. My parents were you know Catholic and religious, and it's like I, I had a problem with the religion because they put you in a box, and you become a follower without being a thinker. You got to think for yourself out there. You can believe in God if you want, but you have to think for yourself what is good for you, what is good out there, instead of following maybe someone or some type of, you know, organization that at the end of the day, they don't care about you. They just care about that organization. And and I, I, and, and I walk my, my own line like this. And, um, and I think that's, that's what probably gave me maybe more ability to be where I am today. I don't know. And, um, you know, I have two girls, they're six years old. I tell them the same thing. And believe me, they they, they don't care about the, do- the norm. They are really who they want to be, you know. And this is amazing. And you got to give that freedom of people and make them understand that. And, you know, if um, we, we everyone is on this earth for a reason and for a purpose, and everyone has the right to have a voice. And no one has the right to put anyone down. Right. So, Absolutely. yeah, and 
It's interesting because like, you know, you mentioned religion being one of those things, but also just in general, like, you know, it could be even your group of friends growing up where, you know, you you could get sucked into this sort of way of thinking or way of life that maybe not even who you are, but you're just sort of trying to, you know, perhaps fit in or like be friends with other people. But it's like, I always encourage people like think for yourself, like are the thoughts that you're having your own or, or is it, are they the thoughts of other people that you're just, you know, having because you want to I don't know, be liked or uh, right. fit in. So it's it's similar. But I'm curious. You know, you mentioned being like really into the arts and music and food as a kid. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I read um, you, or you mentioned, you know, you studied economics and international business in college. So what was the thinking behind that? What was the vision for getting you know a degree in economics and, and business? And what did you want to do with that? Um, get a diploma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, you know, the, the thing is, is um, it, it's it's the, the way that France uh, culture, I mean, uh, the diploma uh, setup is very interesting. So, um, at the age of, uh, I think, when you reach the age of fifteen, um, the, the, the France education. Um, uh, push you to go one way or the other way. So if you're not good enough at school, they're going to push you to a place where you're going to have to go and study your job. Okay, 15 years old. If you're good, then you have a choice to do literature, economy, mathematics, and science. Well, love literature, but I was kind of bored about it. I'm like, I don't know anything about math. Okay, let's do economy. So I, I did, you know, I went through, you know, yes. Um, and education is good, you know, I'm not saying that. And I didn't know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to learn and 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 do the thing that I could do. And I, I you know, I, you know, this idea is, at the time is to get a job in France, you had to, I don't know, you have to bachelor degree, you have to have this, you know, and I did it because I could do it. But I don't think I believed in this, you know, I think you... I, I believe that, you know, you can do whatever you want to do in life and you don't have to go to school for it. You just have to be, you know, and I think America gave me that idea where, okay, I, I, I'm going to go to America and, and I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm just, whatever, I'm going to go. And you know what? I was like, the reason why also I wanted to go to America and you're going to laugh, you know, like that um, that TV show on TV, um, those two detectives, uh, Starkey and Hutch, remember that? Yeah, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to be one of them. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I'm like, okay, let's go. You wanted to get a, a child Dodge Challenger and just right away. That's what Pat did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You mentioned, yeah, so you mentioned coming to, you know, America, San Francisco in the late 80s. What, right. what, what did you end up doing when you first got here? Um, so my dad had a friend um, that was working in Sosalito and he had like an international uh, company. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I go out there and do some type of stage, you know. And then, um, and then his son was... Um, was kind of a chef, you know, so I kind of got into that, you know, um, uh, a community of French people, which I didn't want to be. I'm like, oh, come to America and I'm going to hang out with French people. So I kind of like start there. And um, as I, I mean, I fell in love with San Francisco. 
I was taken by the people, by the beauty of the city, uh, by the beauty of other uh, outside of the city. I was taken with um, the politics, the freedom, the diversity of the city. And um, I just felt home. And I don't know how to explain that. I just like, I got to be here. And then, um, and then food. I'm curious, what, uh, what drew you? What drew you to San Francisco in the first place? Was it just your father's friend and you know people that your family you know knew in that area? Or I mean, you know, we 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 hear about obviously Napa Valley and Unitville and and those areas that have a lot of just French cuisine and, and French inspired restaurants. And I'm curious, was was that the case? Like, was it known back then for that, or or not so much? Well, I mean, San Francisco was known more like. Um, like a city a little bit more um, uh, similar than an European city, you know? And because yeah. um, I've been I've been to LA before and I just, I, I, I couldn't do LA at the time. I was like, what the hell? I can't even walk the street. I get to get a car to, for three hours. I mean, like I couldn't do LA. And I'm like, USA, no. And then uh, I lived in LA for eight years and I love LA now. But um, but San Francisco was, you know, yeah, I think my dad probably the connection. But I, I'm telling you, it was, you know, walking the, the street of North Beach in the uh, early 90s, you know, all those like Italian little shop. And then you have Chinatown and then you have other culture all over. And then you go to Napa and it was just like, and then you have the, you have the, the sea and it, very similar than Brittany. And it was just like, there is something very pure and very rude and, and the freedom also. There's a lot of history in San Francisco and uh, the political freedom and, 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 and the idea that you can be whoever you want to be here without judge, being judged. And so I, I just loved it. And then the food, then it's just like, you know, I... Obviously, I always love, you know, the restaurant business, the the idea of poetry and all that. And I'm like, I think I want to get into a food industry. And this is when I um, I did a lot of research because I remember in France, I was um, I was blown away by Michel Bras the first time I went there. And then by Chef Olivier Rollinger, which is on the coast of Brittany, and the way they were cooking and the way they were um, uh, uh, creating their menu and their story was so different than just a Paul Bocuse or other big chef or Joël Rebouchon, which was very, you know, uh, brigade and, 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 you know, from the Escoffier and la, la, la. There was like more story there. I was like, I was taking about what they were doing. So, I was like, okay, if I, I can find someone that can uh, take me under her wing or his wing and teach me something that maybe I don't know. And then I did some research. And so uh, Alice Water at the time had Jeremiah Tower as a chef for a long time. Mm. There was this love and hate for a long time, I think, between the... But, you know, Jeremiah Tower put, uh, I think, Chepanis the way it was. It is, you know, at the time. And then Jeremiah came uh, to San Francisco and opened this restaurant called Stars. And then everybody was talking about this guy. Think outside of the box, open kitchen, 
work with farmers, not really any recipe, whatever is in season, you know, um, it was like, it was different, you know, and, and, um, and I was just like, okay, I need, I need to go work for that guy. And, uh, luckily, um, he took me under his wing and, and, you know, we're very good friends today. And, and I think I owe him a lot of who I am today. He's, uh, he taught me about, um, humility, simplicity, uh, how to treat people, uh, humanity, how to care about uh, your surrounding, the environment, uh, also the community that you are um, living in, and uh, also not think that you know your shit doesn't stink. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and and yeah, he didn't have really the ego that a lot of chefs have probably had, or that I know a lot that I have. So. Um, so I worked with did you him. ever, did you ever consider, or I don't know if you ended up doing going to a culinary school and like getting formal training, or did you just want to work for the best and learn that way through more so just experience? Um, no, going to school. <laughs> you know, it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's interesting. You know, I was I was talking to a friend of mine that is a chef in France and uh, studied is his apprentice when he was like, like once again in France, the apprentissage start to be a chef around like 13, 14 years old. And the idea that you have to go to a cooking school either here, it's like you, you know, this, this is, this is a, this is a, a beautiful uh, a, a, a work that you can learn from someone that you can follow. It's like, I don't know, making, houses or like working the wood or it's like it's 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 a beautiful craftsmanship you have to have someone that kind of teach you the movement the feeling uh the way like to apprenticeship. Do that's it yes and um and i think it's important um, here's not because you could you could technically have both right like you could have the formal training and then also work for someone and, and learn that. But do you think that going, to, in, especially when it comes to food, going to a more sort of structured, you know, environment where again, you're learning like the rules and how, how things should be done takes the creativity out of it? I mean, there is pro and cons, but um, I've never been a fan of the cooking school because I don't think they, they're teaching uh, the student properly. It's way too academic. And um, there is so much more, um, you know, understand what a chef is about is so much more than just going to school and follow a recipe and understanding how to do the five mother sauce or, or how to grill a fish or all that. There is, it, it, it's not rich enough for me, you know. And when I, you know, there is, there is I, I, I get asked, you know, those youngsters that they don't know what to do and say, what should I do? Should, we, should I go to school? And I'm like, listen. Understand what you want to do and try to find your mentor. And if he's a good mentor, you could oh, you can still always take maybe some courses of technique on the side. But I'm not gonna pay eighty thousand dollars to fucking learn how to like do my mother souls. Hell no. So yeah. I love that you're saying that because you know for so long I feel like in any in profession we thought of apprenticeships and internships as secondary to the education. Right. But in a lot of especially the creative field, it's like 
you know, I think it's important to think about that. It'll be interesting to think about that as the, the primary thing is, is being an apprentice. And then the, like you said, the educational formal education piece is sort of like a supplement to it because you could develop, you could start developing bad habits that like you, to your point, you spent $80,000 learning where you're like, well, I'm going to stick to what I learned because I spent that much money and I want to get the ROI on what I learned and I'm not going to go against the grain. Right. Um, and you're going to be a little bit more hesitant perhaps to be creative and to be expressive right. and do things differently, you know? But but it's also, also that, that structure of like, you know, um, um, you know, the Escoffier where there is one way to do things, you know, it's like kind of an army type of thing. And I think is cooking is such a creative part of, of oneself that is important to work with different people like if if i want to learn how to do a podcast i don't want to go to school maybe i want to spend maybe six months with you guys and to try to understand how you guys uh uh, navigating to through how to do interviewing people and then maybe you know you can tell me well go to this guy also to this woman she's doing amazing postcard and maybe she has another way of doing things and i think this is much more richer to do that and um and then that way i will say i will say just to play devil's advocate here because i agree with the both of you but I, I also think that there are other people, certain people, and perhaps more people that are different than the three of us, right? There are people that do like going and being formally instructed on things that necessarily yeah. don't matter, right? But that's why you are Dominique Kren, and that's why all the people that work for you are not named Dominique Kren, right? Those folks didn't necessarily, not all of them, but some of them don't necessarily have the drive to become leaders, right? They don't have the drive to take on the responsibility of making sure other people are living their lives and being able to make their payments, right? It's not only it's not that everybody wants to be a founder or an entrepreneur or visionary, right? I think a part of it is something you're born with. You saying that you would go seek, you know, advice. That's not something that everyone thinks about. People are afraid to have a conversation. Nonetheless, go and seek advice from 20 different people about how to, you know, put together a business plan, for example, right? right? You know, some people just have the drive, like you, like us, to just get shit done. That's it. It's very simple. But at the same time, you know, when we talk about all the time, we need people to help us get shit done. And those folks... Yeah, they don't want to be. They don't want to have the burden of leadership. Totally. You know, they they don't want to you know be stressed out twenty four seven and you know think about how the next payroll is going to be met or you know what's happening with that lawsuit over there or that insurance claim. Right? There's a lot of people like that. So I do think that at the same time, you know, there are going to be the great ones like you that are going to do what you did, and then there's going to be ninety nine percent that you know go the formal route, do their thing. And they just work for a living. That's it. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, it's not because we're doing that that I'm better than than those people. We need, we need, we need. It's like a balance, you know. But for me, yeah. is I'm looking at. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at you know a lot of of, of people in my industry, those youngsters, and it just breaks my heart when they're like, "Well, I mean, I have like eighty thousand dollars in like debt to pay, and they're making like twelve. an hour. I mean, like, okay, okay. It's like there is something that needs to be happening. Why we don't create a school of cooking with with a school also that integrate that sense of of working in the same time 
and 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 what I I'm, I um, I was a little bit you know um, uh, kind of concerned is you know then well you know the school you know teaching you something and then well you need to go do a stage for three months and you're not going to get paid. It's hard, you know, for me to see that, you know, anybody that come here do a stage, they get paid because we have to, first of all, they deserve to get paid. But maybe do a school where, especially in that type of work there, you can learn and then you can work. I think that's that's the cool things to do. But you're right. I mean, there is people here that just want to do the work. They just do her. We are thinker and we are, we, but they just want to do, okay, tell me what to do and I'm here. And I'm going to do the same thing every day. Right. And that's what I want to do. And that's, I right. think this is interesting. I'm just, um, I'm just talking about um, what I learned about the way they're teaching kids right now uh, cooking, you know. And I'm like, these things that needs, maybe there is, maybe we can improve it, you know. Right. Well, you know, and, and look, you know, you know, there, there's just so many positions for people like that are visionaries, right? But at the end of the day, you know, it really depends on that person. If that person wants to do something, they're gonna find a way to do something, and that's right. why this show was. Cre- that's why we created this show. We're not talking to the people that are doing it. We're talking to the people that said, you know what, I'm gonna do my own thing, and then I'm gonna get people along for the ride, and I'm gonna employ people, and I'm gonna make things happen. And that's why they're on this show. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Right. Uh, you know, with that said, you know, talking a little bit about your culinary career, you know, how has it progressed over the years? You know, you talked to us about where you started. When did you make that final decision that this is something I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And what were the steps that followed that? You know, it's, is <clears throat> I was, I was having a discussion. Um, I was working at stars and, with Jeremiah Tower and the chef uh, is executive chef. Uh, his name is Mark France. Was Mar- Mark France at the time? Um, and I remember I I asked him a question. It's like how much that will cost me to do a restaurant? And he said, "Well, you have to do this, this, this." And I and and I remember I said to to him, "But I want to do a restaurant." that um that is different than just the restaurant that you guys have i want to do a place where i can bring people together and conversation and all that and he didn't understand the concept but i knew i wanted to do something with food to bring people together and i knew at that moment that i realized that food was a language a language but was art and because i didn't know really how to pen or or play guitar or music or sing that was my my way of maybe bringing my voice out there through food, you know. And but I knew that I needed to work in a different area, so restaurant and hotels and um, maybe traveling and and doing and doing things that make me uncomfortable that maybe that was not agree with. Because I wanted yeah. to learn, I wanted to learn. You know, when I was was when I was in LA, I worked um, for eight years at the Manhattan Country Club. You know, it's not not a public restaurant, but the kitchen. You know, chef of the kitchen, and then I had, I had to do you know hamburger and 
sandwiches at the pool and for the tennis player and do private dinner and do catering. But that, that allowed me to learn about the business. And then um, I came back to San Francisco. I, I opened an hotel and, and a restaurant and, and it did very well. And then I had an accident in uh, 2009 where um, I, I literally almost lost, lost my life too. And and I and, and I realized that I, I have no I have nothing to lose. I need to do the things that I want to do. And I didn't have any money. I didn't have any investor. And Juan Juan Contreras, which is my uh, pastry chef and my partner, we've been together for fourteen years. We looked at each other. It's like, fuck, let's do this. And and the idea was. Um, he, in, the, in the middle of the crisis uh, year in America, 2008 to 2012 or 14, you know, like, and we were like, we have nothing to lose. And then we wanted to create a workshop because I was telling him about my dad and his painting and he was a painter also. And why we don't create a place where people can create People can feel safe, and also people can engage in the conversation of every day through food and ideas and the community. And um, I found this place, but in fact, this place was uh, was the Plum Jack Cafe was empty for eighteen months. Was um, the, the owner of of the restaurant uh, belongs to uh, Gavin Newsom, which is a governor at the time. And the owner of the building was this, um, this couple, this Japanese um, uh, husband and wife that had um, this, I think, the building in the family for a long time. And I swear to God, and I say, I want, I want to meet the owner of the building. I met them. Listen, I didn't have any, any money. I didn't have any credential, and I look at them and and I say, listen, uh, this is who I am. This is where I come from. This is where I grew up. This is my idea, and I'm going to really take care of your building. And we shake hands. Will not happen today. It's crazy. We shake hands, and I'm like, fuck. I need now. I need to. I need to buy the restaurant. So I needed to find like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and I did it. And I did it. But I. I didn't, I was not afraid. I didn't have anything. I didn't have any business plans, anything. I'm like, I just shake his hand and I look at him in his eyes. I'm going to take care of this. And January 2021 will be 10 years of owning Atelier Crane. Yes. So I want to talk about all that. But before we do, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you first started working under Jeremiah Tower and Stars and, you know, getting your career off the ground, were you... I mean, I'm, I'm obviously you were a great chef, but were you getting a lot of validation and a lot of positive reinforcement and just, you know, people, whether it was Jeremiah or just people around you telling you like, Dominic, you're, you're a great chef. Like you should do this. You should do that. Like you're, you're doing really well. Were you getting a lot of that or was it just a long sort of process for you to always prove yourself uh, everywhere you were? <laughs> Uh, first of all, uh, being a great chef, um, it takes a long time and I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but um I think it was, you know, the beauty of, of stars is um, I don't think I was looking at validation. I think I was looking more at challenge. And um, what was great about stars is literally um, 
you come uh, as a cook and they give you a menu and there's no recipe and they give you maybe three dishes on that menu. Okay, you're going to do a salad like this, a sardine, they give you some guidance and it's up to you uh, to do the dish. So it gave you this, 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 uh, it enabled you to be creative. And obviously when someone gives you this space of, of being creative, you don't want to disappoint them. So you do, I didn't want to disappoint my chef, you know? And, um, and then you want to also to make sure that you were also at the level of others. So everybody was like wanted to do well with each other, but everybody understood also that we needed to be a team. And if someone was going down to kind of lift them up. So it was not about validation. It was about learning and finding new voice and, and, and working with a great team. So that's what happened. I mean, obviously, some people want to be told every day how great they are that was not that was not my interest i, I know i'm great so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so come 2009 2010 uh you know you have this space in san francisco uh with no money no credit no credentials um you know what do you do i mean you know what's what's the first thing you do so what you do is uh, you look at the kitchen where maybe there is two oven that doesn't work and most of the uh, the fire doesn't work and you're like okay and um, whatever table whatever money you can get and you just open that's all you do and you people come or they don't come and that's all you do but the the, the key of it is you have to have a vision. And you can't let somebody to tell you that your vision is not good enough. You have to have the vision and you got to follow that vision. And you have one people that come to your restaurant, of 10 people to come to the restaurant. You just work with your head down and you keep your vision alive. And I think that's what helps us. Because believe me, when we open Atelier Crime, I was doing walk in the forest and one was doing some other thing and and then there was like one critic was like, oh, what, what is the Dominique Crane and Juan Contreras next going to do? Are they going to do an edible, you know, Goldogan Bridge? And I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, who are you? I was like, I mean, I'm like, but you can't, you can't care about this. What we care that what we did come from here, from love, from a passion and from a vision. And... And we knew that this is what we believed, you know, and, and we knew that maybe one day someone will maybe come and write about it nicely. And that's what happened. So it's pretty nice. And, and Dominique, so, you know, you talk about vision, right? You talk about you have to have a vision. Um, no, you know, right. you call the restaurant, you call the restaurant Atelier Crenn, right? Atelier in French meaning like a workshop or a workspace, right? Um, what was your vision? And why did you consider this your workshop? Well, so Atelier Kren is a uh, uh, name after my, my dad. Uh, he had a workshop called Atelier Papa Kren, where he used to paint. And that was a place of creativity, of community and, and art, you know. So that's what we wanted to create. We wanted to create a space where it's welcoming you know, diversity and ideas and people from all over with a sense of, um, 
of ownership and 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 respect and also a place where you don't have to um, have this kind of like menus where a restaurant we were like well we have to do this because the guests want this we wanted to be free of doing things and we wanted people to that wanted to be with us to um, um, uh, to uh, to come and when you think a workshop what is a workshop workshop so you work and it's a shop where you always work and create so that's what we did you know and and that was kind of in the philosophy of my dad of freedom and art and beauty so and acceptance mm-hmm. so so you opened the restaurant you know in 2011 and it was just a few years later that in the Michelin guide you know rewarded you two Michelin stars, which is one of the highest honors, obviously, you can get as a chef, as a restaurateur. And so I'm kind of curious, like, why, how did it sort of in, in just three years become such a, such a success? And, and um, you know, how did you feel when that happened? Well, um, so it's another R word. Uh, we didn't open this to, to get, um, those, you know, any star. I think it was it was great for the uh, for the team because you know I grew up in France and Michelin was kind of uh, a big thing. Um, I think you know when I we got the first one, um, great. You know we had the first one before the hotel, and then when we get the second one, there was a different way of looking at it, where um, also they put me um, in kind of a box of a woman getting the first, second star in the United States. But then I realized that was a platform for youngster and young woman maybe to look at me and, and say, you know, you can do anything you want. You just have to do it. And then the third star happened and then that put us another level. But what he, he made us feel, and we t- I talked to Juan and we talked a lot about it, is it's nice that someone can recognize, you know, uh, um, uh, you as, as maybe as an artist and, uh, and as a point of view and not that typical, you know, three Michelin star where you go there and you got, you know, your appetizer and you caviar and you meat and you fish and you dessert and, and the cheese plate and all that. And this is the same, you know, the same you know, in a box, and then then you give three Michelin star to a team that really um, have a point of view and their own point of view, and 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 created something that come from them, like memories or something very special, you know. And yeah, it's really nice, and it's nice for the team, and it allows us, you know, to maybe do other things. But remember, um, the ta- the star doesn't define us. It's really what we do with us, with, with the star that defines us. You know, so it's like use that platform, that platform of being out there. And yeah, it's, it's, we we feel very grateful about it. But God, I have so much more to do. It's crazy, you know. Like we we creating right now that it's totally different. And I don't know what's going to happen, but we just continuing of creating and, and, and lucky enough that now people come and from all over the world and, and, and converse with us through, through the, through the food. So this is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, the one thing that, you know, has been super interesting for me and uh, you know, it's obviously been like a huge, just like a huge phenomenon the last, you know, it's called the last five, six years, maybe even the last decade is just, 
chefs becoming celebrities, right? Um, and that was really never the case. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we never really heard about specific chefs and all, oh, you know, you're going to Dominique Crenn's restaurant or you're going to Alice Waters, maybe Alice Waters, but like, you know, you weren't really going to the restaurant because of the chef, you know, or the Gordon Ramsay's of the world or, you know, whatever, Thomas Keller. But now, you know, you see people aspiring to be chefs, right? Aspiring to be celebrities. And, you know, you were obviously on the show Chef's Table. And I think that that was something that became a true phenomenon and a true reason why people started viewing chefs as more than just cooks, right? And seeing them as, you know, leaders and influencers and thought leaders, you know, as one of those folks who is a celebrity chef, no doubt, um, as a result of the fame that you've garnered over the years, how do you use that platform? You know, how do you influence others and how do you influence, you know, the world or the planet um, as a result of who you are and what you've built? I mean, I, I think when you, you get to a place where um, uh, people start to know your name, I think it's, it's for, I think for my industry, um, I think it's great in a sense because for me, we can use that plaf- platform to change a lot of things, you know, in the food system and all that, you know. But we have to be careful because um, I really don't like the word celebrity because it, it, it puts you to a, a place where um, it's kind of out there. And, and I remember, like, I, I took a tour. Um, let's talk about cooking school again. Um, it was in San Francisco, and it was just like all those kids were watching Food Network, and I'm like, because like they see the celebrity chef, on, and I'm like, what the fuck? It's just like you can't. What this is not what we are about, you know. But what is great right now is people listen to us. People listen to us because there is so many things, you know. Being a chef is not just cooking. It's really you have the responsibility with your community, with where the food comes from, with the food system, the social economy. I and mean, there's so many things that we need to be responsible about. And um, and it, it, it brings the light of that. And I think this is beautiful. I mean, you have Rene from Noma in Copenhagen. He is, you know, when he started, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the the food kind of like a fest- festival, you know, and, and people talking about issues and things like that. I think this is very important and very rich, you know, and, and, and I like that type of celebrity chef that do, that use their platform to better the industry and the environment. Um, so um, it's great that people are listening to us. I think this is a very important, you know, especially right now, um, you know, very vocal about, um, you know, about food and the food system and what's going on and, you know, the, the industrialization of, of food against, you know, the little farmers. You know, there is a lot of things we need to talk about because, you know, when you think, you know, food is very political and food is also the core of the, the society. And we are the one that have been giving uh, uh, basically the reign of it. So we yeah. got sh- to show up. And we we have to show up. And I know nurses would agree, and I'm sure you would too, that food is probably one of the most powerful unifying forces in the world in terms of regardless of what your politics are, regardless of what your beliefs are and where you're right. from and what you look like. It's just food is 
you know, that one connecting factor that can bring people together. And and so, you know, I'm curious, you know, again, coming, you mentioned, you know, Atelier Crane is coming on to almost 10 years next year, which is an incredible accomplishment for any chef or any, any business owner. Um, and I know you've been, you have other projects that you've worked on in other restaurants, but I'm kind of curious, you know, with the current climate, you know, with the you know coronavirus pandemic and unfortunately the hospitality industry restaurants have have been hit one of the hardest hit se sectors of the the world and i'm curious you know where you see things going with not only your restaurants but just the whole restaurant community as a whole well uh, yeah i mean it's um it's been um it's been difficult and i i'm i'm I mean, I'm pen and, and heartbroken to see everything that's going on in my industry. And it's also a time for us to reflect on where our industry is going to go. Um, I truly believe there is a lot of good that can come out of it. Um, first of all, I believe in diversity. So if somebody tells me that uh, it's just going to be, you know, food truck now open for the rest of the end of time. This is for me, it's like, oh yeah, okay, this is bullshit. You know, we have to have the diversity, you know, like you have diversity in music and art and, you know, we have to have diversity. I think what's going to happen and what is happening right now, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a time and place. And it's, it's going to be about community and it's going to be about uh, the value of, of, of the person that is leading this restaurant and where the food comes from. And, and for the customer, you know, how you're going to spend your money is, do you want to give your money? Is it going to be almost an act of activism because you want to support your community? I want to support my community. I don't want to buy things that I don't know where they come from or on the other side of the world. I want to work with my fishmonger. I want to work with my farmers, even if it's dishes and, and, and menus that is very personal. And I think that's going to go this way. That's the beauty of it. So if you go to a restaurant, you're going to know where your food comes from, and it's going to be the work of a community that really rebuilt with each other. And I, thought, I think that's beautiful, you know. And um, I think that's going to go there. Um, I hope that, I think my hope is any corporation, I hope they're going to go. And I hope that as a community of, of the industry, we can bring uh, affordable food also to those communities instead of feeding them, you know, shit. And, um, you know, when you look at the pandemic and you look at uh, people that have died and people that have uh, got really sick and you, you really go deep in, you know this is the way they, we've been feeding America. It's not proper. We are can, can you go deeper into that? What do you mean by that? What do I mean by this is, is um, so up to the 1940 or 50, um, a lot of great food. Then the industrialization of food become, became, and you had the, the TV dinner and all that. So what has been created is, is food that is not food. So if you're feeding yourself to that, you know, you're going to have underlying problem. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
the best food up to the 1960 in the United States were African-American food, best food in the world, okay? Best food in America, delicious, fresh, you know? And then, then there is suddenly those corporations like fast food came into those communities and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you you know a way that you can buy food cheaper and maybe you can become you know maybe an owner or whatever, and this they literally killed the culture of food in America. You know they put you know every corner they put you know those fast food restaurants and you have those those store where you could buy alcohol. We all know that the food desert and all of that. That's what happened. So if you feed yourself. Uh, something that is not good for you, so diabetic, obesity, uh, underlining, you know, heart disease and all that, where that come from? We all know it comes from the food that you've been eating and it's not food to me. We need to change that. A lot of times what we see in fine dining, right, is that the food is good for you, right? It comes from farms, local farms, from local farmers, but the prices are high. You know, and and it becomes this thing where only those that can afford to spend that type of money um, end up spending that time of, type of money, right? Um, you know, you talk about, you know, you're, you have this true belief that, you know, good food, like good food for you can truly be affordable. Totally. Right? And you talk, and you talk about people coming together to do that. But what does that mean? I mean, and why hasn't that happened already? I mean, why can't people just do that right now? What's the what's the challenge? Well, I mean, I, I think we all know this is a it's a, a, the industry is complicated, and then you have the corporation, and you have the greediness, and you have the money, and 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 the American dream about like you got to make money, you got to do this, and and then you have like this food system that it has nothing to do with food, and then there is the farmers. So I, I got to tell you that if we if somebody in the in the in the, in, the, in the Middle West, in the middle of America can uh, have all those, you know, field of like corn and all that, or like those GMO, why we can give them the, the, the tool to maybe, to maybe to create something else for that is better and how to feed America. I'm sorry, I think we can do that. So you said that I'm not just using my, my farm to just do a fine dining restaurant. You know, I'm doing... 2,000 meals a week, actually, with the product of my farm, which is all organic, just plant-based, and I'm feeding the homeless. I'm giving them good food, you know, and I wanted to do that. When we shut down here, I was not interested of buying, you know, things, cheap food. We were doing, you know, $38 for a meal that is like two or three, four courses, with like all organic and all that. So we are doing it and but we want people to do it. And and the government, you know, needs, you know, to help help us to do it. So can you imagine if the government and on the federal level, instead of giving grant to corporation that produce shitty food that is not good for you, will give those grants to any restaurant that produces food and farmers 
and we will feed the school and we will feed the children and we will feed community. And then the money will come back to the community instead of the money going to some corporation that we have no idea where they're coming from. You know, you get to, a, right. you know, you get to a public school and you go to the kitchen. There's no cook there. It's like everything is frozen. And you're like, what the fuck is this? You're giving that to the children? When you have restaurants all over the country that could be a part of it, cook good food. And that, I think that could be very powerful. Do you think that that day will ever come? Because, you know, I follow politics. We all follow politics these days. I mean, you can't escape it. You never hear anybody talking about this, right? You never hear people talking about education. You never hear people talking about food. You never hear people about talking about supply chains or anything of that nature because it's just not sexy, right? Those are the most unsexy things. Those are the things that are very challenging to solve. So, you know, if we depend on government, which, you know, a lot of people don't like to depend on government, which is why you're an entrepreneur, why and how is this ever going to happen? Is there another way? Is there another way that we don't depend on the government and can start providing good meals to students, good meals to senior citizens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, I mean, what's interesting that I, uh, we, we, the people, can do the things that we have to come together as like a movement, you know? I mean, during this pandemic, which what's interesting is, so in 2019, I spent... I don't know, eight months of cancer, you know, so I had cancer. And um, I went to the hospital and the food was disgusting, you know, I swear to God. And, and I started to like, it's like, what's, what's wrong? It's like, this is, that doesn't, doesn't make sense, you know. That's all you were worried about, huh? But, yeah, of course, because food, food, is, <laughs> food, food is medicine, you know. And then during the pandemic, I, um, we did a lot of uh, work, and 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 feeding also the the the, 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 the medical worker, and then I, we we start to have a conversation, and and we said why we don't a chef, you know, I create you know create a company or whoever, and then start to and start to bring the good food, you know, to those big organizations that all that have contract, and and I think there is some track right now. There is another, you know, last year. Um, I, I give a lot of money to to cancer uh, organization because obviously I'm I'm a cancer survivor. My dad uh, passed away of cancer, but I mean last year I went to this big fundraising and okay cancer to and then they give me like they give me shitty food like food that is not even good for you and I'm like what the hell so I'm like talking to the organization which is a huge organization and say. Let me do the food. Let me bring something out there and let's start to think this way. And I think is, it's a way I think this pandemic maybe help us to maybe unfilter ourselves in that kind of system. And when people start to realize, like, for example, on, like in Los Angeles, you have a lot of studio, you know. Do you want to eat craft food every day? Or do maybe you want to create something that is better for you? You know, you work for like 12, 14 hours shooting a movie or doing anything. And you know the, the food that you're eating there is not that great. 
the the problem is the problem is we, we eat shitty food and we rely on coffee to keep us going throughout the day. When if you just eat good food, that energy will come from the food. <laughs> yeah, but you can also drink the coffee, you know. But yeah, I mean, come on, Pat. <laughs> I'm not saying no. I love. I drink three three cups of coffee a day. But yeah, I almost had a heart attack there about not having coffee. But but I think it, it's it's about you know it's not to like be aggressive and put you know push the this idea. It's about maybe. Have conversation with people and and tell them there is maybe something else. You know, you know we're very lucky. Uh, we have a farm in Sonoma, and I was talking to my farmers, and I'm telling you there is a movement of young people now. They want to grow their own food. This is amazing. About before the pandemic, that was dying. There is something that clicked in people in uh, in my in people mind. You know, it's like okay, we have to make good food, you know, available. Organic food doesn't have to cost three times more than regular food. It should be just regular food. Right. And it should be, right. you know, grow properly. You don't have to have the organic, you know, label. You can do, you know, organic farming without being organic. You just have to do the right way. That's it, you know. So this idea of like, well, we can't do this because it's too expensive. I don't believe that. And then it's just... It's just we have to think and come together because, first of all, you know, there's a lot of people dying. There's a lot of people that don't have food on their table. There is a lot of hunger in America. Why we don't come together and feed and, and, and try to find a solution, you know? I think right. there is an opportunity here. And, of course, you have the right to have a fine dining restaurant. You have the right to have a mom and pop. You have the right to have, you know, maybe just a little sandwich shop. Doesn't matter if you have this or this. Doesn't make you better than the other. But we all in together and we just talk and we just give a part of ourselves and help the community to be better. I mean, when I, you know, actually we've been, you know, I, I've, you know, feeding 2,000 homeless people every week. And you go to downtown San Francisco. Fucking crazy. And then, yeah. And then I. It's sad, honestly. It's sad, but I, 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 it's so I decided to. Everything is plant based. What I do, but I, I'm not vegan or vegetarian. It's plant based because I wanted to use the farm, the vegetable that I was growing and grain, and I wanted to cook something very yummy. Okay, I've been serving this population for. 10 weeks now. Do you know that the best things that happened about a few weeks ago, that those people came back and say, you know, this is the first time that the food is really good. And her hearing that because they know, and I didn't say that was organic or anything, or it was because it's cooked with, with wholesome food and good and nutritious and all that. We can do that. And that doesn't cost me a lot of money. I can make a dish that would cost me maybe a dollar fifty or two dollars, and it would be a super delicious mock and stew or anything like that. And if I can give that to a community or anybody, that makes me happy because I know what you're eating is also good for you. You know, that makes sense. You know, Dominic. Yeah, it does. You know, and the other day, you know, we were at a farmer's market and uh, we were just kind of buying fruits and vegetables and. You, you see, I mean, first of all, the food looks better, right? I mean, it literally looks better. But then you buy something like an heirloom tomato, right? Which is like significantly more expensive than any of those vine tomatoes. But when you cut into it, you smell it, right? You smell that tomato. And then when you eat it, 
it's like you're eating a piece of steak, right? Growing up, I mean, even though, you know, we had good food, we didn't spend five times more to buy an heirloom tomato, right? Because it was just five times more expensive or any other vegetable or fruit for that matter. But, you know, until it gets to the point that, you know, farmers can sell that heirloom tomato for about the same price as everything else, then we're not going to have that sort of access to that quote unquote good food, right? Like, you know, we crave it. I want that, but I can't afford to buy 10 heirloom tomatoes a month. You know, eventually I'll, I'll go bankrupt. I mean, I, I, you know I, I, mean? So, I, so how do you get there? You know, as, I mean, as someone that um, has a little bit of understanding of economies, it's like the way that the price going to go down, you got to create a demand. And how do you create a demand? you know, with, with, with what you have, you know. So first of all, America needs to change the way they eat. If, if, if you, we have to, like, if you come to California, you're going to eat a certain way. You're not going to eat the, the same way if you, uh, maybe on the East Coast, because maybe they have a different vegetable. We have to be able to, to eat the food that is available with season, Okay. Mm. That's very important. And then if you create a demand, then the price is going to go down, you know? Um, right. And, and Simple supply demand. You're an economics major. You know best. But, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I, I was looking at data and I, and I talked to a lot of youngsters. And right now, the, the youngsters, the young people between 14 to up to like 20, 21 they are interested in, 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 in what they eat and they are willing to maybe perhaps sometimes spend a little bit more money to make sure what they eat is good for them, but also good for the environment, which is very interesting. I'd like a lot of conversation. I'm like, where you guys come from, you know? And you say they understand that the, the need of that. So there is, there is something it's happening. And right. I mean, you go to, you know, you go to country like India or China or the, all those country, you know, or maybe Italy and all that. I mean, you go to Italy. Fucking great food. <laughs> yeah. For, I, I, can't, I mean, for, everywhere. I'm everywhere, upset that everywhere I can't else. go right now. <laughs> I mean, farm to, farm to table. You go to, to yeah. you, go, you go to South. I, I was just in Mexico. I mean, great food. The, we're we're Armenian. I went to Armenia for the first time ever last year, and the food was incredible. I mean, everything from the fruits to the vegetables to the meats to whatever you name it, it was just on another level. And I feel like everywhere has sort of leveled up and made that the norm. While, like you mentioned, the United States has, has just been so heavily reliant on fast food and and. Uh, you know, neglected that for so many years. Yeah, and it, it's it's like you know, or you go to Georgia next to you know Russia, and all of this is like Israel. Of it's it's not the food is expensive, but the food is yeah, is right. fresh, is is farm to table, and they understood that they understood they they understood the power of eating well and good food, which is very important, you know, and why America doesn't have that. They are that right. they are that up to the 1940, and then suddenly the industry. So I think there is a way to maybe rebalance this. Yeah, money. But we we we. I mean, it's a, we live in a capitalist society where you know those that have wealth 
want others to, that also have wealth to make more money. I mean, it's just this never-ending cycle, right? But you know, we—I think we mentioned this word a couple of times early on—was balance, right? Balance. You need a balance between wealth and health. Right. We're trying to turn the lights on here. Um, there you go. Now you're now we're bright. Um, but you need a balance between you know the money and what's healthy and what's good for you, right? Right. But we need younger leaders. I mean, when it comes to you said your dad was a politician. When it comes down to the politics of it, we need the younger generation to lead us, right? right? As much as progressive as Bernie Sanders is, or Gavin Newsom, or anybody on either side of the aisle. You know, I, I hate both of them. I hate both of the sides. Um, you know, we need younger people who understand this stuff. We need chefs. We need business people right. to be able to change how our country operates, right? I mean, why is it that Patrick can go to Armenia and have, you know, a meal with 20 people and the entire bill is $200 and I go to a restaurant in Glendale with my fiance and pay $200 for the two right. of us and eat Italian? I mean, right, it doesn't make any sense. Like, right. it doesn't add up. Something's something's missing somewhere. Something is either we're, you know. So we just have to figure that that part out. And you know, when it comes to the healthy food, I know you recently launched, uh, you know, a new company, a new product. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, you talking about the Vitable? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about it today. <laughs> well, Vitable, um, um, I'm a co-founder of Vitable, and Vitable came from uh, the idea that food is medicine. And it's about creative bowl to, um, uh, first of all, it's great for, you know, um, lower, you know, sugar, it's, it's you know, diabetes and, and cancer and all that, but it's delicious. So everything is kind of thought out and nutritious. Some are, you know, uh, all organic. Some are more like using, um, it's not all organic, but we're trying to get there. But it's all about just everything as, as, as a purpose that we're putting in the bowl and it's delicious. I don't know if you ate them yet, but um, it's, uh, and they're not expensive, you know, it's like you can get a bowl for, you know, 11 bucks, you know, and um, uh, during, you know, the pandemic, we, we, we gave so many balls away also to uh, hospital and to youngster and all that. So it doesn't cost a lot of money to make delicious food and food that is nutritious, you know. So maybe like think about do you want to save your money right now and, and eating shitty food or you and then later on spend your money on going to the doctor? which there is no fucking health insurance in America, which is crazy. Yeah. And, uh, or do you want maybe spend a little bit more money and then be great for the rest of your life and the money that you don't spend to the doctor, then you can buy, buy a nice house. Right. You know, Dominique, this is something for all of us to think about, including, including yourself. And I think, you know, in the position you're in, you probably will have more insight. You know, I, I've been having this conversation with a lot of people recently about, you know, American society being a lot more focused on playing defense versus offense, right. right? As somebody who plays soccer, you know that. We're always, you get the disease and then you fight it, right? It's never, why don't we fight it before it happens? Right. You know, throw that punch before you get punched, right? So, you know, when it, whether it's prevention in health, right? Whether it's, you know, taking the right vitamins, eating the right food, whether it's exercising, we do all those things after we have to get, you know, after we get sick. Or, you know, we try to look for a job after we're already fired, right? Why not be proactive? proactive. You know, as a society, right. how can one start being proactive? You know, as a chef, as a leader, as a visionary, 
as an advocate, you know, I, I'd love to hear your advice. How can us as young human beings or even old human beings, how do we take proactive action and do something right before it happens, right? You know, I, I know, I know it's not sensational. It's not sexy to talk about prevention, but you know, how do we make it sexy? How do we make it newsworthy so that people are talking about eating the right way or taking the right medication or, you know, vitamins and whatever, being exposed to the right environment? How do we do that? How do we message it properly? I mean, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because the philosophy of of our companies it's we we believe in proactivity. We don't believe in reactivity. You have to be able to be proactive and think what will be the consequences and 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 in, before the consequences. So proactivity is is a very important thing. You know. You know, it, it's all about, you know, we have to start from, from the best, you know, at the beginning, you know, like we have to, you know, to show our children, you know, and, and, and educate that, you know, where that, hey, this is good, this is, this is the consequences of this. And when you have that, then you can start, the, the new generation can start to be, I don't know, you know, you, you can't, you can teach your old dog, you know, a new trick, you know, I mean. You know, those those people in politics that they are like 60, 70, 80, they need to get out, yeah. first of all. They're not going to change their mind. So, um, you know, um, talking to the community that is, that is, you know, powerful right now, which is the youngster, I think, and and go to, come to the table and have a conversation, you know, and is is and, and, and a diverse conversation. I don't care if you like fast food or if you like whatever. Let's come to the table and find something that is bringing us together. Food brings us together, but you know what? The family and the health of our own family and, 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 and the, the health and the, the future of, of, of our children, it's, it's always a common you know, denominator, a common conversation. You know, we all want the best for our children. We don't want them to right. get sick. We don't want to get sick. So why we don't start that? Like really get into something a little bit more personal. And how can we do this, you know? And um, it's, it's, you know, I was, you know, I was talking to this organization uh, the other day that it's an amazing organization that um, help, you know, um, and, and, and inspire young children in unprivileged, you know, um, community that don't have access to anything, but expose them to something new, like the vegetable or building something or give back to others. And when you start the conversation and when you show somebody something else that maybe they don't know, it's always spark something. And we need to you know, get out of our chair and don't think that we are one way or we think this way. You know, I want to talk to people that I'm not agree with. I want to have a conversation with them. I want to find solutions. We know that we are in trouble. We all know that we are in trouble. And um, so how we do that, I think it's about conversation and education. I think it's very important. No, it's not a sexy conversation. It's not. Yeah. But, you know, we need those conversations to be able to evolve and to do better every day. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, with all those movements that's, that's happening, you know, is it took America to, you know, you know, Black Lives Matter is a very 
whatever you think about it, it's a very important discussion. It's very important. You know, in France, it was a very important discussion when, you know, uh, we have France taking over Algeria and we have the war and then like things happen in France. You know, we have to talk about those things. You know, we, 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 we have to create conversation to understand that perhaps we were not always right and how we can better our community and the world, you know, and 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 be you know i think to be able you have to come to an uncomfortable place to be able to 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 create change and you know and it's 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 true and and we all know that you know food is definitely one of the most important things you know and if we don't have food there is there is no community there is nothing you know yeah, and um, you know, you know, Dominic. It's funny. Every time we speak to, uh, you know, a chef or restaurateur on this show, uh, it ends up being one of our most popular episodes because, you know, it's just crazy. Because I think chefs see the world in a different way, right? They're artists, they're business people, they're community people. Like you, kind of have to do it all, right? And you have this, you know, aerial view of the world and how people you know, function and psychology and sociology and things of that nature. And it ends up being just a phenomenal conversation. I mean, you, we don't even talk about the food. I, I don't think we ever talked about what Atelier Krenz serves during this entire hour and a half discussion, right? It's not that we don't care. Who care? But <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the reason why, you know, we're called the Founder Hour is because we want to hear your story. I mean, we want to talk to you, right? You know, Atelier Kren is one of your, you know, creations, but what you're doing as a result of, you know, creating that platform, creating that community is what's really interesting, right? I think that's what should go out and motivate people to become, you know, great or to, you know, to create change, right? And so, you know, thank you for your time. You know, we know how busy you are and, you know, we've taken, you know, 90 minutes of your evening already. Um, but thank you so much. And, you know, we, oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're inspired and hopefully, you know, with those that are listening are also inspired and, you know, go out and do their own thing in the world and create change and do things for the better. So, you know, continue to do your thing. And thank you. And, and believe me, I don't have the answer. I don't have, I'm just talking to you guys, you know, like I will talk to anyone. And I think there is, obviously we having that conversation because, we all know that something needs to change. Where do we start? Right. I don't have the answer, you know. Um, and I don't know. It starts with people that want to do it. And maybe that's going to be a struggle to start something like that or a movement or whatever. But at least we start something and we start a conversation. And I think it's, it's very important to do that, you know, and not put that under yeah. the rug, you know. For sure. You talk about farm to table. Uh, we were in, um, I, I can't remember what city, I think it was Temecula out near, you know, south of LA here. And we were at this house and it was a bunch of us friends and there was a bunch of these fruit trees. So, you know, I just came up with treat a mouth. Forget farm to table. I love that. Just pick it up and put it in your mouth. Oh my you know God, I, mean? I love that. So, yeah. So if you use it, you got to give me some credit. Yeah, you, yeah. Um, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Just even that experience that, you know, you get to pick your own meal, right? right? Like how empowering is that, right? right? Like how, you literally have control of what goes in your mouth. Right. Like that, that to me is phenomenal. So 
you know, I do hope that, you know, this movement continues to grow. It's one of those things that isn't talked about, right? Unlike Black Lives Matter or unlike any other civil rights or social justice movement, this hasn't become a massive issue yet, right? It's not a pandemic. But perhaps, you know, as the community, we need to create that sense of urgency, right? How do you do that? How do you create a food pandemic, right? Where you're like, you know what? Shit's hit the fan. Enough is enough. You know, let's change this system. Right. Let's change how things were done, right? Right. And, you know, it's going to take time, but it's got to happen. It will happen. But thank you so much and uh, for having Thanks, me on the show. And um, It was an absolute pleasure. And um, hopefully, hopefully we can meet in person someday soon. Yeah, I mean, you know, I often come to L.A., because uh, we we, would love we have a house over there. Oh, I'm going to be in LA. Matter of fact, at the end of uh, I'm cooking with uh, Daniel Patterson at Alta. With, oh, nice! Awesome. Yeah, we're doing a, a dinner uh, at there uh, at, in the West Adam District. So um, I'm excited about this amazing restaurant. I don't know if you guys have been there. Never been. Oh my god! You, What's it called? It's called Alta A L T A. So it's kind of like a soul food, you know. But like the soul, yeah. the soul food of Los Angeles, and it's it's it. uh, the West Adam district, and it's it's really cool. It's delicious. But let us know when you're out here. When you're out here. Yeah. Yeah. Keep us posted. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you.